0: What's going on, digital wildcatters? We missed you guys last week. We had our zero streaming event, so we were busy getting ready for that. Had a call in Audible on BDE, so yeah, we had week. all the
1: equipment tied up and all. <laughs> but because zero is about you know the oil and gas business getting to net zero emissions, I didn't fart for two days. I want that on the record. Is that your commitment? Yeah, that was my commitment. I'm
0: proud of you, yeah, exactly. So we had a lot happening over the last couple of weeks, um, especially when it came to oil and gas. What do you have first on the? On uh, the why don't we jump in first
1: with John Arnold's take this morning? Because I thought that was really good. And there's been a lot of talk the last couple of weeks about product prices, the bull run of oil, gas, and it's not just that; it's all the metals, it's all the commodities are running and people are really, I mean, oil and gas guys always say, you know, it's going to 200 forever and ever and all that sort of stuff. John, I think, put together a pretty good take on why natural gas is just fundamentally
0: going to be higher for longer. I mean, that was the gist of his thread that just structurally natural gas prices are going to be higher for the foreseeable future. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And where it really comes from is infrastructure, because, I mean, when it comes down to natural gas under the ground, we got a lot of that. I mean, you can go west in the Delaware Basin and drill a 25 million a day. Well, what he's talking about is you look at the Utica and the Marcellus and the pipeline takeaway capacity there is maxed out. He talks about the FERC. And we talked about this, Colin, when you were out, I had Jeff Davies, co-host BDU with me one time. And, yeah. you know, Jeff Spinn knows the midstream pretty well. And we talked about. Biden was able to make an appointment to the FERC, which made it 3-2, Democrats to Republicans. And for the first time in 23 years, they changed the rules under which you approve stuff. So now, and I'm grossly simplifying, but you have to take climate change and it's absolute climate change uh, into consideration when approving these projects. So if we have an old leaky pipeline that emits millions a day of methane And we're going to replace it with a brand new one that may release, you know, one molecule of methane. They're going to say, well, one molecule of methane, that doesn't help climate change.
0: So fundamentally, I the least pragmatic way to think about.
1: Oh, totally. It's solving problems. It's it's the absolute basis as opposed to the relative basis. And so Jeff and I were talking on BDE and just said there will not be another pipeline built in America because of this. John Arnold basically says that in his thread. And the one example he gives is the Mountain Valley pipeline. And it's taking Marcellus gas, two BCF a day, to Virginia. And it got federal approvals, all this. It's 92% completed. And a judge just stopped it. And so it's sitting there. It's supposed to come online late. What do you think about that from a finance perspective? Now, yeah, how do you, you put
0: that in the investor memo? <laughs> a judge may boot it. Ninety and you get ninety-two percent along and then it gets it gets revoked. I mean, how do you how do you quantify that risk when financing that big of a project? And I can't
1: remember if it's you, if it was with you that we talked about uh Mountain Valley or with it if it was with Jeff that day, but it's being held up because of two fish that may or may not be on the endangered species list. And I think my joke that day was like, those fish don't even taste very good. I mean, it's like, (laughs) why do we need to protect it? But I mean, this is, so that's John's point. John says if takeaway capacity is capped out, Uh, yesterday I had uh, Brian, the CEO of Aegis on, and we were talking about LNG. We're kind of capped out on LNG shooting it, overseas on stuff and so fundamentally our gas supply just is what it is we can't really increase it so if we have more demand prices go up
0: you know janet yellen the uh secretary of the treasury said this morning i believe that oil and gas companies are incentivized by high prices to produce oil and gas which You would think is correct right i mean okay you have high oil prices go drill some holes we've seen that historically but you really have to sit back and ask yourself now are oil and gas companies incentivized to produce oil and gas when you have talks of windfall uh profit taxes on oil and gas companies or you know to to your point well, John Kerry, Brad Olson says, you know, why why increase production or why increase capex when you're trading at three times EBITDA? It's like our oil and gas companies really incentivized right now with several different factors to increase oil and gas production. I don't think they are.
1: Yeah, now Brad's point's really good because he ran the correlation between just absolute product price and rigs out there, and then he looked at trading multiples in the public market. Uh, and there's a tighter correlation there. And uh, so two things. One, more drilling tweeted out a couple of days ago. I go on vacations for two weeks and you guys can't even increase the rigs out there. <laughs> but I was also talking to a CFO of one of the publicly traded uh, EMP companies yesterday. And he said the, the I told him about what Brad was saying. He said, that's interesting. Hadn't thought of it that way uh i'll go look into that but he said the bottom line is i'm talking to investors every day and they're happy and i don't want to rock the boat you know he's <laughs> yeah. like
0: i'm sending them capital
1: back i'm maintaining discipline he's like it's like, so life's, nice That's good he said i spent the last decade getting yelled at this is <laughs> great
0: another thing too was uh mike worth ceo of chevron he came out at some um some investor conference and says that he doesn't believe that another refinery will be built in the united states ever and that kind of goes along a bigger theme of we're just not a country that can build anymore yeah like we can't build like think about trying to build the hoover dam in today's day and age how much um time and money and resources went into that and they just did it you wouldn't be able to do that today just By the permitting, you just said it right there. You build a pipeline and then 92% 92 in, it gets uh, gets shut down. So that's kind of a, not kind of, it's a really big concern for me, is that we just can't build shit in the United States.
1: Yeah. Well, and so that kind of rolls into the next topic that Biden has basically said he's going to bring the solar industry back. To the united states because i mean if you look at it there are percentages 80 percent of solar panels are built in china or 75 basically 99 percent of the wafers are built in china and so if they send it over to any other asian company uh country and they kind of repackage it and ship it over that's not counted as chinese solar panels it all comes from china though and it all comes from slave labor etc And so what Biden's done is he has suspended tariffs from Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam. Uh, He's using the Defense Production Act, which is basically, you know, president saying, I'm God, I'm going to do this. Um, And then he's also put in place a plan that's called, you know, Made in America. So it's going to give favorable treatment of some sort to to uh, buying U.S. solar made stuff. So. You yeah. Know, to I mean, to your point the stuff we feel like we need to be doing in oil and gas, building pipelines, doing all that, he's doing but he's doing it with solar.
0: Yeah. I have to go and look more or deeper into this before I have a strong opinion about it. But my thing is is if the government is going to spend money and put resources into things, energy should be one of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, Energy, education, things that increase the, uh, the, the common good for society. Um, what I don't appreciate is just the attack on fossil fuels and the gaslighting that comes from the administration. And then you get no support from it. I mean, it, it's crazy the things that you've seen, whether shutting down pipelines, um, threatening uh, profit taxes just to turn around and beg OPEC for oil and gas. I mean, that's that's just clown world to me. And then on the flip side, you say, hey, we're going to pour money into renewables. Um, that way we can, which I think that we should, we should have diversified energy mix. I don't think there is such thing as energy independence. I think that you have to have a diversified energy uh, mix. That way you're not dependent on any one country or else you see what happens with, russia and ukraine situation but the thing about solar panels to your point is yeah the panels are manufactured in china even if we manufacture those over here in the united states where are we getting all the raw materials from yeah they're chinese owned china owns the raw materials market and so if we had a future which we'll never have a future where we're 100 renewables but if you did have a future where we're 100 percent renewables you're going to be dependent on china one way or another whether you're manufacturing actual panels themselves in the united states or china they own the raw materials so you're always going to be dependent on them, one way or another Same yeah. for batteries so that's that's an issue it's like what we talked about earlier um a few episodes ago these are global markets right everything's intertwined and so i just think that the uh i think that the idea of energy independence is is a lie it's kind of a dream that we chase but i mean like i said i think it's good that um you know if we're going to spend some government money we should be spending it on energy production
1: yeah now i'll take the libertarian point of view and say i think energy is so important we should get the government out of it (laughs) you know let's have them go spend that back in the back in the 80s there was a big debate you know about funding the national endowment for the arts and Dick Armey was number two in the House of Representatives, and he was a college professor, so not the most worldly of people. And he was given a press conference one day, and they were talking about some, you know, poetry that the National Endowments for the Arts had funded. And he was like, and this poetry, it's grotesque, it's anti-American, and it doesn't even rhyme, (laughs) But, you know, I always had the joke back then is like, I'd rather government do that and leave the important stuff
0: to like the the free markets. And, yeah, and look, I'm a libertarian too, but also um, understand how things work in the real world. And so um, you got to take that with a, with a grain of salt. But yeah, Bobby Faxelrod said that now that we finally have gotten to where we can produce as much as we consume, let's shift that control over to China. So I'm saying. I'm like, yeah. this is a mash- matter of, you know energy security, and I just don't trust that we should we should put all of our faith in China well, being a good actor.
1: Well, and I need to a culpa here real quick, because I was always a free trader. I mean, I was kind of a, I was a liberal in the 19th century definition of it, free markets and, and democracy. And I'm not a Trump guy. I mean, but Trump was right about this. His protectionism manufacturing at home. And I'm going to apply the same thing to energy. What you just said, he's right about that. Cause freaking China hates us. I mean, they want to destroy us. Russia wants to destroy us. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so we need to, we need to be careful.
0: Yeah. So I think that's, um, interesting point. And I think that over the next few months, I mean, one, I still can't believe we have $9 natural gas. Like That's just like mind-blowing to me. And what are the second-order effects that that's going to have on um, the adoption of renewables? Because theoretically, if you have uh, high oil and gas prices, it should accelerate renewables. But now what's happening is it's not just oil and gas. It's all commodities. So lithium, copper, all these other metals are skyrocketing too. We know that intermittent renewables don't work without battery capacity, right? So we need battery, we need commercial battery storage for renewable projects. And then we also need batteries for electric vehicles too. And so um, I just, I find that pretty fascinating how I've always thought about, okay, a catalyst for adoption of those things could be high oil and and gas prices, but now you have high prices across the board for commodities. So Well, I haven't done the math yet, and I need to, Um, so
1: I'll talk about it right now, which will force me to go do it, um, because GW will hold me to it. But if you think about it, one, the benefit of renewable solar and wind is once you spend the CapEx, sure, there's some maintenance to keep the things running, but generally speaking, your feedstock's free, right? Wind and solar, it's free. Um, It takes energy to build those things and so where does that energy come from right now it comes from coal and china you know and so coal prices move in tandem with natural gas and oil because there is substitution among those fuels it's a little awkward and a little bumpy but there is substitution so renewable capital costs have to go up going forward just because hydrocarbon prices are up number two i think if I've, I've done some back-of-the-envelope math, but I'll admit to doing it after three or four glasses of wine. The amount of mining that's powered by diesel, I don't know if it really gets us anything. If we electrified every car on the planet the mining because you can't just in the middle of the congo plug into the the socket and use electricity it, ro- it runs off diesel yeah you so ever seen sure how run.
0: big an earth mover is you're not running those things off of solar panels anytime yeah. soon no that's exactly um, right so yeah i mean you've heard me talk about this like the circular loop of mining hydrocarbons oil and gas and then how much diesel it takes to do that it's like you know we would Bring a barrel of oil out of the ground, send it down to the Gulf Coast, they get refined, turned into diesel, and then ship right back to us right. to extract more oil and gas. So that's um yeah, it's
1: a, it's a massive. Is it endo or exothermic in terms of it requires a massive amount of energy just to get it to a usable form? For yeah. us. way more than people
0: appreciate. You brought up uh, you brought up a point that I wanted to read this tweet from Next Wave EFT. Um, He was talking about replacement costs on renewables, which I thought this was a really interesting point because I haven't thought about this too much. But he said, oil and gas wells have a productive life of 20 to 30 years. Solar and wind have a productive life of 20 to 30 years. Just wait till renewables get on that replacement tread wheel. Those oil and gas boys will tell you how fun it is to sprint full speed to tread water said, wind and solar now add the most capacity each year. Yes, but that's while having near, near zero replacement capacity to deal with it. The changes in the next 10 years when projects start to deteriorate, the treadmill starts and not all of that new capacity is additive. Some is pure replacement. I thought that was a pretty interesting point that I haven't really thought about a lot is that, okay, if you look at the life cycle of solar and wind and then look at replacement, um, look, this is what we're dealing with right now in oil and gas, right? It's like we can increase production, but you're replacing uh, declines on other older wells. You're going to deal with that same thing in oil and gas or with wind and solar. I don't know how that impacts the economics of, of projects, but. Well, I was going to throw some
1: finance at you. If, if those things are financed with 30 year bonds, I mean, when Robert Smith came on the podcast, he and I talked about renewables, and he goes, renewables are all based on really historically low interest rates, because none of those projects work unless you got 2 or 3% debt. So if you have 30 year, if you have 30-year paper or even 20-year paper, and in year 15, that solar panel doesn't work, not only do you have to replace it, to your point, to get the supply, you still have to pay off the debt. And have you amortized all the debt down there? No. So I mean you kind of wind up with what we've got with the Astrodome, right? Astrodome's sitting out there and we still owe money on the bonds, you <laughs> yeah. know? So what are yeah. do you
0: doing? There was it? some interesting conversation in there too. Um so Tim Latimer, who's the CEO of Fervo Energy. I like Tim because Tim was former uh completions superintendent for BHP, I believe. And now he's the CEO of uh, Fervo, which is a geothermal company and he told Next Wave, he said, interesting point. Retirements will make a big difference for renewables. But a big distinction, though, that is that the resource is the same. So you have no depletion, just equipment. So oil and gas would be a lot easier if you could just drill the same well every 30 years instead of finding a new resource. So ultimately, what Tim's saying is that replacement costs are just going to be on the equipment itself. But the wind and the sun aren't depleted. So it's just a matter of changing new equipment. Next wave said the depletion in oil and gas is having to move to a less productive area every 15 years. Those tier two areas are 25% worse. Um, and Tim came back and he said, imagine drilling 2000 era acreage with today's tech or 1980s or 1950s acreage, the renewables, all the tech gains go straight to production improvements, no deterioration of quality. It's a pretty interesting point too to think yeah. about, you know, think about oil and gas is to our knowledge it is a finite, resource and so we start having degradation and quality of rock start moving to tier two tier three and we have to have technology improvements just to extract the same amount out of lower quality rock whereas renewables your replacement cost is just like oh hey that windmill's broken you just need some new blades new gearbox boom
1: so it was interesting when i joined kane anderson i think it was march of 2001 Of the end of that year, Johnny Sonat, who was Bob's son, and Bob was CEO of Kane at the time, was I think he was a freshman in high school or something. He wrote a thirty-page thesis talking about peak oil. You know, yeah, because that was all the rage back then. And and we 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 have no every time I hear peak
0: oil though, I just don't know are we peak supply or peak demand? What are we referencing? It's
1: peak something. (laughs) Broken watches, right, twice yeah, a day. Yeah, exactly. But, but, yeah, that was all the talk. And, I mean, being able to, to frack rock and, and the like, I will say this, and I've talked to enough folks out in the business. I don't, back in, back in early 2000, it was on the radar screen that horizontal drilling and modern fracking could unlock all that wasn't necessarily spiking the football saying, yeah, we can do it for sure. But it's like, Hey, prices get high enough. There's something to play with here. When
0: was this? This was, was early
1: 2000s. Oh yeah. So, you know, we drilled the first horizontal well in American, in like 1937, uh, you know, et cetera. So we had those tools and you could at least foresee, Hey, this can happen if there's enough economic incentive and $15 natural gas led to that. And then a hundred dollars na- oil led to that. I don't know that, if you if you swore all the oil and gas folks uh, to you know put them under a truth serum and said okay what's the future I don't know that there's a technology hanging out there now I believe humans always come up with more innovation particularly in the U S where we've got free market private ownership stuff but I don't know that we've got something in our back pocket that if we hit two hundred dollar oil for two years we can do something about it you know yeah. we've hit every bit of rock in america with the big hammer and we know exactly what it's gonna do yeah for sure So,
0: yeah i think there is a uh i don't know if i have it on my computer but I'm pretty sure there was a time magazine cover from like 1940 something that the front cover was about the permian basin and just an ocean of oil that was unrecoverable and you look at that in 1940 then what we did in the permian basin over the next 50 years and then what we went back and did to it in the 2000s in 2010 when we started drilling uh horizontals because i agree with you like you know we knew we had like there was something there that we could drill horizontal and frack right but it wasn't really until 2010 when we really started uh tapping into that and i agree with you it's like what's the
1: hey that shit we're doing in the bakken might work in the permian that's yeah. that's what it
0: was in 2010. Yeah. The yeah. So Susan, uh, real quick a comment from Susan. She said as long as solar and wind equipment can last longer than about six years, the replacement cost is not going to impact the ROI that much. So she thinks that uh, CapEx isn't going to have that that big of a um, impact. And then Goldman also asked if they have margin of error on panels failing or needing replaced, replace and yeah they do um i don't know what that number is but i'm sure it's like five percent or something that they but brian get they... came on the podcast a couple of weeks ago
1: and he was talking about this project in africa where raised a bunch of charity money went and put a big massive solar system in place in a in a village in africa because you know they just didn't it wasn't practical to to build a coal plant or something like this yeah and uh 12 months later because they didn't have regular maintenance on it they were using it to hang uh clothing to dry on <laughs> that it just <laughs> it just didn't work and so i'm Got not saying that of it. i want to be careful i'm not saying that to trash solar but there is probably a bigger failure rate than we appreciate
0: there yeah bobby facts also said don't forget the cost of disposing the panels because they don't have a solution for that either other than throwing them in landfills yeah. so real quick i want to give a uh a shout out to our unofficial sponsor and they're not really a sponsor tanner zoom in on this real quick oh why is it blurry focus focus Uh, anyways bring it to to my face there There you go (laughs) this is a cute little picture me and my my delta eight seltzer from uh eighth wonder brewery this is actually the bun b collaboration trillionaire but they bring us by these uh delta eight seltzers and uh we appreciate those guys so i wanted to give them a shout out
1: absolutely absolutely so before we hit finger of the week, just a couple of uh, rundown the uh, stories. First, we talked on, we talked right after the Ukraine war started, and we put, you know, we were talking about not using Russian barrels, and everybody was like, oh, oil's going to go to 200 because all the Russian oil barrels are going to sit in the, the country. Well, Russia's dropped off about a million a day of production, but they've stabilized it, and I said on the uh podcast that we were going to wind up just sending ships a different direction. China or India will buy it. There will be a bid-ass spread, but it's all logistics. Well, Kazakhstan has been relabeling Russian oil. They've even got a cute name for it, Kebco. Uh, Kazakhstan Export Blend Crude Oil. And I don't (laughs) understand grades of oil, but they're supposedly a CBC exception on all the European bands and stuff, so they're already marketing it,
0: you know look i mean everything's branding and storytelling right yeah. <laughs> you say i don't understand all the grades of oil recruit neither do i but i do understand branding and storytelling and that's all that is right there it's like hey guys we got the it's exactly how i can sit here and, and drink a delta 8 thc drink in texas is because i don't know was this derived from hemp and yeah. they've they've been able to I'm to it. give the Bun B shout out because that do. is That's, trillionaire. I gave the Bun B shout out. I gave the trillionaire bun. shout out. But agree with you. I mean, these are world markets, they're interconnected. And if you think that the flow of product is going to stop, especially in a time when we have such a big energy crunch, it's just going to get passed through. Yeah, in this case, Kazakhstan. And,
1: yeah, in high school, when a uh, lizard dog, the guy that sold weed, got arrested, somebody else popped up. You <laughs> know, it's not <laughs> yeah. as, But uh, okay, we've got finger of the week. But there are two story. There were two people that didn't get finger of the week. Uh, but let's go through those real quick. First, I was working out at the gym yesterday. Yeah, and my locker's right by all the eighteen to twenty year old kids that mm-hmm. were working out. So there were like five of them and i had a date last night so i had two shirts and i go hey guys which shirt for the date tonight swear to god one of them looked at me sir i think my mother would like the one on the left <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uncool but okay so that
1: so he almost got finger of the I don't week. know if
0: that's uh... <laughs> I almost I, 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 I got to be there for a little bit of context but i don't know if that was like uh, was that like taking a jab at you? That was, was an that age like, joke, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, what...
1: That was an age joke. They all giggled. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, so... They were, they were punking
1: on so you. So they almost got finger of the week. They didn't. Second almost finger of the week is a prostitute who bought crack for and had orgies with Hunter Biden got a $20,000 federal PPP stimulus for her female-owned sole proprietorship, which was listed as independent artists writers and performers that, yeah that's borderline finger of the week yeah i mean, I mean come on
0: digital walk we didn't take any ppp loans because i didn't think that we well we were, weren't out buying crack yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that's, maybe that's our problem
0: tanner increase our crack production exactly so, you had one more finger of the week didn't you
1: yeah we do have one finger of the week if you're ready to play i'm it. ready to play it all right let me he's uh, playing
0: that chuck you play that
1: i'm gonna play it Uh, Where'd you put it, Tanner? I'm getting there. Here it comes.
0: Kayla Monis, the honorary finger of the week this week. But well, you is, want to tell a, the story? You want a, me to? It's a different, it's a different finger of the week. This isn't a bad finger of the week. It's just a yeah. finger of the week because we're sad. Yeah, you we tell, are we are sad. Is there a story to tell? You tell oh, the story. No. K- <laughs> Kayla,
1: Kayla joined us from Heart Energy, was VP of marketing here at, at Digital Wildcatters. We all love Kayla. We all wish her really well in future endeavors, but she decided to leave us. And what she kind of said you know, with the hugs and the cries goodbye was, and I'll always watch BDE. So <laughs> we're going to see if we get nasty texts from Kayla. So
0: this is this is a test to see if Kayla is actually watching BDE and the uh, finger of the week is definitely, uh, it's out of sorrow. Yeah, gonna, tongue in gonna, cheek. Tongue miss, in cheek. We're going to miss Kayla.
1: Actually, tomorrow, the podcast I drop, uh, Kayla is on the podcast. I've got Kayla and then Liz DeStevens, and we're talking about, uh women speaking roles in the industry yeah. That's how we can do that better and the issues women face in speaking in public that i didn't appreciate and so anyway it's pretty good yeah podcast. there's
0: actually you know i encouraged them to do that podcast because when we were getting speakers for a zero event there were some really um interesting differences between the way that males and females would respond to getting a chance to speak and some things that i never thought about just because i wasn't exposed to and so i told kayla i'm like hell yeah go record a podcast about that that's um very interesting stuff and so uh that podcast is going to be great drops tomorrow
1: drops tomorrow morning all right yeah cool
0: all right guys we appreciate you all tuning in uh to this week's bde we will be back next week tuesday 10 30 a.m central time Share the show with a friend if you think it's valuable. Uh, Post recording is available on YouTube, so you can see it on there if you want to check it out. We'll catch you guys next week.